If you want to turn with me and read from Romans chapter 8, the first 14 verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to, a God, to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So, as you saw, if you had a moment to look at the connections this week, our message today, if you believe, then what? I'll say that again. If you believe, then what? Please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 4, and follow along as I read. I'll give you a moment. Want to hear the rustle of those pages? I can't hear the rustle of that electronics. <laughs> All right. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4. If then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Apostle Paul begins here with a statement of conclusion. A statement of conclusion has two components. A hypothesis. I have a hard time saying that. Does anybody else? The if part. I can say that word, the if part. And a conclusion. The then part. Some Bible translations will use words like sense or therefore. And those are most likely valid. However, personally, I believe Paul used the if and the end. So let me explain. Both the if and the then beg a question, don't they? If what? Then what? Two questions. I got stuck on those two questions. Sound familiar? So I guess you're stuck with me, aren't we? So let's delve into the scripture for the answers. So first, the first part, if. So to do that, I want to go back to the scriptures that we read for communion. So flip back a page in your Bible, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, and we're going to work our way through those together. Again, I'm listening, the paper's wrestling. So let's look at verse 11. In that verse, he says, we are circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. Uh Uh-huh. Circumcision of Christ. What is that? Kind of an odd phrase. What is it? The cutting off, referring to or thinking of the physical circumcision, the cutting off and the casting off and the removal of our sins. This body of evidence, this, our burden of sin, taken from us, and then our sins were placed on him. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He himself bore our sins in his body. 
on the tree. That we might die to sin in order to live to righteousness. Now we're approaching verse 12. So I want to slow down a little bit. Am I going too fast? I want to slow down a little because there's a lot of theology, tremendous theology in verse 12. So I want to take a little bit closer look. But first, I have something for you to do. I'd like you, well, except for the front row, you get a reprieve. Um, I'd like you to lean forward, and there's a pen in the chair right in front of you. Take the pen out, because I'm going to need you to do some underlining in your neighbor's Bible. Okay, are you ready? Your neighbor's ready? All right, first, looking at verse 12, I want you to underline buried. Buried. These Christians, they talk about a lot of stuff. Buried, what is that? What is that about? Answer, as believers, we are dead to slavery to sin. Notice that I didn't say dead to sin, but dead to slavery to sin. We are still capable of sinning, but we are no longer a slave. You want to do the extra credit, you can look that up in 1 John 1.8. So we're no longer a slave to unrighteousness, but now slaves to righteousness. This buried stuff. We are made new. Well, for the most part, I think to be buried, you usually have to die first. That's pretty typical. Same thing spiritually. We have to die to ourself. And then we are buried and raised with him. We are made new. Our baptism represents this transformation. Let's look at Romans 6, 4 through 7 and see how it's expressed there. It's coming up. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, see, get that? There's a reason. There's more to follow here. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See that? There's that newness of life. Raised with him, buried with him. Next, in verse 12, I want you to underline you also. I don't see any fighting over this, so your neighbors must be pretty compliant. You also. Underline you also. Because it means you also. You are not left enslaved, but you are born again. 
Hallelujah. You hear that? You were born again. Hallelujah. You're not enslaved to sin any longer. You were also raised with him. You also were raised with him. Christ on the cross said, it is finished. It's accomplished. It's done. Your sins have been taken care of. You see, our destiny is secure in him. Did you hear that? What did I say? Our destiny is what? Secure. Secure. doesn't matter if I mess up. I need to confess it. But does that change my eternal destiny? No, because my faith is in Christ who finished the work, who died for all our sins. You see, our hope is in him. Not in me, not anything I can do, not how good I might be, which in the eyes of God is nothing, but our faith is in him, Jesus Christ. Next, I want you to underline through faith. See, I told you there was a lot in this verse. Underline through faith. Why underline that? Because this is very important. Faith. Well, what is faith? Heard that word. I'm not sure I know what that means exactly. Kind of got an idea. What is it? Many Christians or people claim it, but not all have it. Let me say that again. Many Christians or people claim to have faith, but not all have it. And I'm talking about a saving faith. So let me give you an illustration. I saw a famous picture of a road carved into a cliff. It happens to be in Bolivia. And um, it's called the Yangus Road. So let's put up that first slide, please. It is barely wide enough for a small vehicle. To the one side, the cliff goes up hundreds of feet. And to the other side, more than a thousand feet down and certain death. If you look closely, you'll see there's a waterfall underneath that truck right there. So it's narrow and wet and slippery. Hmm. Not the road I want to go on, I don't think. Certain death to the one side. Was made for use by donkeys pulling carts. But now it's used by cars, an occasional truck, or a bus, as you can see. 
Let's look at the next slide of it. I got another picture of it. Maybe a little more graphic, straight up on one side and straight down on the other. I got kind of a kick out of this picture because I looked at it and I thought, all right, I'm driving down this road like this, and I come around, and what do I see? A caution sign, like I need somebody to tell me to be cautious. (laughs) Not only that, it says it's a winding road. Uh, Well, that's pretty obvious. That was nice of the government to put that up there. And then I looked at the picture even more closely, and the sign is starting to fall down the cliff. I looked at that road and I thought, well, there's the true definition of a white-knuckle road, wouldn't you say? A white-knuckle road. Certain death on one side. So now, rather than me spend a lot of time for you to get the picture of what this road is about, suppose you're at one end of this road. And you need to get to the other end of that road. And so you're at the bus station to buy a ticket on what the locals call the death road. Obviously, a few vehicles don't make it. So here you are at the bus station to buy a ticket on the bus. To actually buy that ticket means that you believe. You believe that the bus will arrive at the other end with no problem. After all, it goes back and forth, at least somewhat regularly. Now listen carefully. but it takes faith to get on the bus. Let me say that again. It takes faith to get on the bus. It's no longer up here, is it? I thought it was a good idea. But now, your heart has to have the conviction to actually step up on that bus. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, puts it this way. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Like the bus ticket, it's one thing to believe and buy the ticket. It's a whole other thing in your heart to get on the bus. You have to believe in your heart and not just in your mind. Just claiming that you have faith doesn't mean a person has saving faith. How do we know? Scripture says, you shall know them by their fruit. 
We'll get to that in a minute. James 2.19 says it this way. It's coming. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the, demon, even the demons believe and shudder or tremble. You believe here that God is one. You're doing pretty good. Even the, even the demons do that. But what about this? It's one thing to say you believe in Jesus Christ. It's an entirely different thing to have faith in him. See that difference? To have faith in him. To let go of the steering wheel and let him drive the bus. What bus? Your bus. To have faith in him is to let go of that steering wheel and let him drive the bus. So what is our faith or our trust placed in? You get on that bus, you're trusting that driver that he's a good driver and he's not going to drive off that road down the cliff, right? To certain death. It takes trust, faith. What is it we trust in? Well, let's keep reading. Got your pens out? We have to have faith in the working of God. I want you to underline that, working of God. You see, we believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Ephesians 2.10. Let's look at that. For we are his workmanship. Who's the his? God. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Why? You mean there's a why? For good works. God created us for something. For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, God, I didn't get saved just to sit in the chair once a week on Sunday. That's not God's plan. Let's also look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he, God, has caused us to be born again, there it is, to a living hope, Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept, in heaven for you who by whose power 
God's power are being guarded through what? Through faith. See those same words again? For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, we've also been raised to a new life. A new life. Not the old life. Doing the same things. You know, living for self. But a new, fruitful life. Hear that? Fruitful life. Doing the works God has prepared. Remember Ephesians 2.10? God has made us alive together with him and has forgiven all our sins or our trespasses. Praise God. Praise God. So let's summarize. We're talking about the if. If you believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, that he became the atonement for our sins, that he conquered death and rose three days later, according to the scriptures, that he is the hope of our salvation, that he is seated at the right hand of God, that all power and authority is given to him and that you are a new creation in him, Christ, and you have been raised with him, Christ, and crucified with him and are now dead to self. Then, well, we're doing really good because we've made it through the first word of our text. So you got a lot of time today, right? So you believe all those things, then, remember our other question, then what? Well, we get the answer in our text. Look at Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Paul makes no mystery about his instruction. Pretty plain, straightforward in verse 1. He says, seek. You know, the word that's used here means to covet earnestly and to strive. It's a combination of those things. To covet earnestly and to strive for that. It's a strong word. It means to have a desire that compels you to action. Compels you to action. To this striving. It means to pursue a treasure. First thing that came to mind was how many people have pursued the lost Dutchman gold mine in Arizona and went up into superstition mountains and died and never returned. But they were pursuing a treasure that word seek means also to pursue a treasure at great cost or peril. 
Does that describe you? I had to ask myself, does that describe me? Do I seek him at great cost or peril? Do I strive? Do I covet him and the things of him earnestly? Then the next question I had to ask myself is, well, do you seek in this way? Remember, Scripture said, how do you know them? This is the fruit or the evidence of that new birth we're talking about. It's the evidence of that. It's the evidence that it has occurred. Colossians 3.2. The next instruction. Two things. So we should be able to remember that. Seek. We've talked about that. And the next one. Set your minds. What's that mean, set your minds? That's a kind of an interesting expression. Set your mind. That means to be determined. Setting your mind. You probably hear the phrase more commonly when you say, set your mind on something, right? So to set your mind is to be determined. Maybe better yet, you could say to act purposefully. Act purposefully. Or maybe even better yet, you could say that it means to pursue without hesitation or pause. To pursue without hesitation or pause. 1 Corinthians 9.24. Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. that you may obtain it earnestly. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. Or to put that shorter, be heavenly minded. Where's our focus? On him. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way, and if you pardon me, I'll turn my back to you a little, and I can't read it back there. Offer a true saint anything you want, but if you deny him God, he will be miserable. God is the center of his desires, and as long as you keep his soul from its proper center, it will not rest The believer's heart is in heaven because his treasure is there. Christ is the believer's treasure. It should be our treasure.
But you know, this is Satan's greatest ploy. Satan doesn't want us to focus on things above, but he wants us to focus on temporal things, not eternal things. Paul says, no. We are to focus on Christ. Keep our eyes on him. Never take our eyes off him. That's how we battle Satan. That's how we fight that temptation to be consumed by things of the earth and all the wants and desires and little things that we think we just got to have. But Paul says, no, keep your eyes on him. Don't be looking at that stuff. Colossians 3.3 For you have died. There it is again. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Interesting. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, Christ is our refuge. You heard that one before? If you haven't, uh, read uh, Psalms because it's everywhere. Christ is our refuge. Christ is our Savior. We are to look to Him. We have died to this earth, it says, and in verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also. Remember we underlined that, you also part? You also will appear with him in glory. Is Christ truly your life? Are you trusting Christ to drive the bus, the bus of me? Are you trusting in him? Scripture tells us that today is the day of salvation. Won't you make him Lord of your life today? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words and your truth and the truth that is in them. We thank you for your spirit who speaks to our hearts. We thank you for the love that compels you to offer your son as a sacrifice for our redemption, that we might be freed to sin, that we might die to sin, that we might then be born again to have a new life, a life that's sanctified to serve you and to do the good works that you've prepared for us. We pray, Father, that you would work among our hearts and our lives, prepare us to do this service to you, prepare us to glorify you in all that we say and do. This we pray in Jesus' name.